Good morning and welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, December 10th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week. Kevin Walsh of the Legal Eagles and Groom Law Group will be joining us. And Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be here to help break down markets. So sit back, relax. Enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. Good. We're going to kick things off as we always do with a look at what is happening on Capitol Hill. And there's some big news coming up this coming week. Joining us on the line, he's one half of the Legal Eagles, Kevin Walsh. He's a principal with Groom Law Group. That's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Kevin, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for stopping by the program this morning. Jeff, thanks for having me on. It's always good to speak to you and always good to speak to your listeners. Yeah. um, Kevin, there's some big news coming up um just as a follow-up to our our segment we did with you oh i want to say november 3rd um on the fiduciary rule there's actually a hearing coming up so you know we talk about planned fiduciaries and we say what matters is process 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 well when we talk about agencies and when they're trying to make new rules uh something that matters to them also is process 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 uh and you know as we talked about in november the Department of Labor has released a new proposal which redefines who is a fiduciary for purposes of ERISA. Uh, it, it pretty dramatically expands the scope. Uh, and in connection with that, they're also making changes to the rules that fiduciaries have to comply with if they want to get paid. And so you're saying, well, what, what's the process hook here? Uh, the process hook is that you know when they release their proposal, they're giving folks 60 days to comment. And whenever they release you know these process these changes to what folks have to do to comply. Uh, they typically have to hold a hearing. Uh, and so next Tuesday and Wednesday, or Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, the Labor Department is you know, having a virtual hearing, totally worth signing up. You can go to the EBSA website and you know register. You can attend. It's uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, 45 panelists. Uh, <laughs> and I think the idea here is that this is really going to be the first opportunity for consumer groups, for service providers, for you know, lawyers at boutique law firms that you know work in the employee benefit space uh, and members of the general public to you know respond to the labor department's proposal and say you know here's what works, here's what doesn't work. The proposal really needs to be withdrawn, or others can say it needs to be you know they can say whatever they want, but it provides an opportunity for the public to you know tell the department how this how they feel about this. Um, what's weird about this one is usually this happens after a comment period closes. So this is kind of unprecedented. Uh, and also, you know, folks are not wildly happy about this. One thing that these hearings typically do is, you know, us lawyers, uh, you know, interested parties, you'll scour the comments that come in and say, Whoo, uh, that comment over there, that comment, I really disagree with that, really got to provide some context, because that's something I didn't think of when I wrote my comment letter. Um, so typically, at these hearings, it provides commenters with an opportunity to essentially respond not just to the proposal, but respond to other commenters' comments. Um, flipping the order here and having the hearing now, it creates kind of an awkward dynamic where I, I think folks will generally be previewing uh, what they plan to put in their comment letter. But you know, this will be the first time that folks get an idea as to who supports this proposal, who opposes this proposal, and who thinks you know it needs to be changed in in major or minor ways. And so, Kevin, um, so it's virtual, so you won't actually be in a room. You'll be I guess via Zoom or Teams or one of those 
technologies? Uh, via WebEx, in fact. Oh, WebEx. Uh, wow. I, was, I, haven't, I was a surprise haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh, it, it's uh, it was a surprise to me. I've I had to re-download the uh, the WebEx app on my laptop. Just to, I wasn't even sure they. I wasn't even sure if they were still in business. Anyway, so it's it's via WebEx. And how does one get invited to be a panelist? Because you're going to be speaking. You're one mm-hmm. of forty-five. Not anybody could just sign up, right? You have to be. Do you have to be invited? Do you have to make a request? How does that happen? Well, so you know, as part of this process, the labor department uh, had an opportunity for folks to request to testify, uh, and those requests had to be in by November 29th. Uh, and then, just on this past Thursday, uh, the labor department released its agenda, and you know, folks saw who was invited to testify. You know, I, I could pretend that it's a, a big honor to have been asked to testify. On the other hand, I can also tell you they got. They got 45 requests to testify, uh, and they have 44 folks testifying. And the difference is one person requested to testify twice. Oh, really? So they can? So they're going to testify well, in the beginning and then at the end? No, no, they're they're just going to testify once. But they requested they requested on behalf of an organization, and then they they it said you know if if that request isn't granted, then I request to testify as an individual. Oh wow. Okay. And and when you look at the the different parties here, I just want to hone in on that for a second. Um it's going to be lawyers like you were mentioning from uh niche boutique law firms, I think as you were alluding to yourself and and David and the and the groom uh in employee benefits, but also uh, probably would be record keepers, service providers, uh broker dealers. I mean Anybody who's in and around the retirement industry, well, brokers, dealers, consumer groups. Yeah, I mean, you've got it, it, it's not it's not as though this is you know just friends of consumer groups or just friends of financial institutions. It it's a very broad cross section. There's individuals testifying as you know on their own behalf as retirees. Um, you know, there's major trade organizations like the Chamber of Commerce testifying, uh, and there's everything in between uh, in terms of you know smaller trades, bigger trades, record keepers. Uh, representatives, record keepers, representatives, insurers. So, you know, this is, it is a, it's a motley crew. Um, And, you know, one of the weird things with this is because folks' comments weren't in or aren't in before the hearing, um, you know, typically the labor department creates panels where, you know, we know that these four panelists agree. Uh, We're going to ask these four panelists questions about, you know, the things that they've said in their comment letters they agree on. Uh, This time, since the comment letters aren't in, uh, it looks like it's kind of a, a random uh, pairing of who's on these panels, which could create a a more exciting dynamic. As you know, this will be a, a a hearing where you could have uh, you know folks with you know views that are at one extreme uh, paired up with folks who have views at another extreme, and you know there is there is more potential than usual for some fireworks to ensue. So you're telling me they took the reality to making it a reality TV version of the hearings. I'm not going to say that. Okay. But but Kevin, in all seriousness, so the next after the hearings, the final comments are supposed to be due in January, is that correct? January 2nd. Yeah, that's the deadline right now for submitting comments. Folks asked for an extension because from November whatever the data came out, November 3rd, 3rd. to January 2nd, while it's 60 days, it's only 37 business days and that's not counting the two days of the hearing. So it's the holidays really add up there and you know, folks like me are doing a lot of work over the holidays as a result. So, you know, folks ask for additional time to respond. The labor department said, no, we're not giving you extra time. Uh, I know folks probably will ask again for more time. Just some of the groups I'm working with right now are still scrambling to, you know, get their members all on the same page. And if you're a trade association, 
you really need to have your members bought in before you file a letter with the government. Um, you know, that being said, the, you know, it'd be nice to get more time, but the labor department is signaling that they're not going to grant it. Yeah. It sounds like this one is a very high priority. Well, Kevin, good luck with your uh, testimony. Um, have, have fun and uh, share your insight. And we look forward to having you and David back on the program again very soon. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you listeners. Take care. Bye, Kev. Bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back to the Time to Take a Spin Around Markets. It's been a very interesting week. We're going to talk about job numbers. Joining us on the line, Oliver Rennick is the lead anchor for the Schwab Network. Oliver, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you very much. Appreciate it as always, Jeff. Oliver, I alluded um, to the fact that we got some job numbers. And, of course, we record this. You know, We don't bother Oliver of the weekend. We record it on Fridays. Um, we got some job numbers this morning. I want to get your reaction to that. I think it was 199,000 new jobs, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. That was a nice, solid little print compared to expectations, not the robust, hot, figures that we've gotten over the last couple of years and at the peak of the economy, but it's still hanging in quite well. Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, what does this mean? So when you look at the job numbers and they exceeded expectations, and I, you know, I don't even know how they come up with these expectations, right? I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how they come up. The economists come up with an expectation of yeah, what the numbers are going to be. A bunch of people make guesses. They, right, they, they throw darts against a wall, which is what I would probably do. And try to figure it out. No, I'm just kidding. They're very sophisticated people. But Oliver, they exceeded expectations. Now, going into this last meeting for the Fed, what? How do they react to that? Do they keep things status quo? Is that what the market ex- expects? What What are you hearing? Well, the um, data are kind of mixed in their messaging, and but overall, very resilient still. 
over the last month, we've had pretty significant cooling in the main inflation prints, which is why the market has started to price in interest rate cuts in, beginning in March. Uh, the expectations that even though inflation is still above the Fed's target by a full percentage point, that they will start easing because their rate is still very high and perhaps no longer uh, appropriate for the inflation numbers we're currently printing. So that's the argument being made essentially by uh, the bulls and bonds and stocks that are, have been buying bonds hand over fist for about a month. So that did kind of stop for bonds today. Uh, and the dollar, which had been falling, bounced pretty strong on Friday. So the bounce in yields and the bounce in the dollar do seem appropriate because even if we are going to have to pivot to easier policy, it makes sense that we should be one of the last countries to do it, which would support the dollar in the near term. So that part makes some sense. As far as yields go, uh, there's probably a lot of good reason to expect the bond rally of the last month and a half to slow here uh, and perhaps give way to sort of a revived bear market in bonds. Just because, one, the technicals really support bond bears still. You can literally draw a straight diagonal line for the last three years and pretty much get uh, perfect alignment with the Treasury market in an uptrend for yields with everything we've seen over the last month and a half. We've kind of just drifted towards the bottom end of that upward channel for yields. So technically, I think it's easier to argue for bonds to keep selling off. Now the question for stock investors is whether or not this surprisingly resilient economy is uh, going to be good for stocks. It really depends on how dependent you think the market is on interest rate cuts. There's certainly a lot of evidence to support the notion that stocks are indeed trading higher on expectation of those cuts. A lot of this is really going to come down to next week to see how Powell interprets particularly the big rise in the equity market and the big loosening of financial conditions over the last month and a half. Does he feel that that risks working against his inflation goals? If he doesn't, um, then he could certainly say that inflation has come down enough and that the economy has shown enough weakening for us to be a little bit less restrictive. And um, I feel that's going to be a big event next week. Uh, The last few events centered around the Fed. I didn't really expect to be a big catalyst for the market just because all of the Fed speakers aligned pretty well around their commentary that they're done hiking. But now that the market has gotten so aggressive and its expectations that they will pivot to cuts, there is some room for surprise here next week. Uh, If the numbers today were really bad and the economy and the labor market showed a lot of slowing, then that would really be a, a big sort of confirmation that the Fed needs to loosen up a little bit. But we're just not seeing any major deterioration. Unemployment's 3.7%. So, yeah, it's higher than off the lows, but that is still very respectable and very robust. And we're still, at, we're still only um, getting like 200,000 jobless claims you know, uh, uh, every time we get that number. 
so you know the kind of high frequency data is is pretty it's pretty robust still i mean there's not been a lot of damage to the economy despite what the fed has already done so <laughs> should powell risk inflation sticking around for longer by cutting rates and sending markets flying uh, i feel like he probably doesn't want to do that yeah i mean you you know past performance maybe maybe want to be a guidance for uh, how to proceed in the future but uh oliver you know a lot of people talk about the magnificent seven tech stocks i want to ask you something about real estate um there was a lot of concern and maybe there still is about commercial real estate a lot of empty office buildings what do you do with those office buildings what about the leases or the or the notes on those office buildings is that still a concern i know that's not a big part of the market like the magnificent seven everyone talks about tech and what's going on there and, and quite frankly there's a lot of good stuff going on there but what about that commercial real estate market does that concern investors yeah it's an interesting question because uh, it's it, it sort of is has these kind of polarized um perspectives where on the one hand yeah it's a, it's a problem i mean um <laughs> That's one of the areas where the lag effects of higher interest rates probably have not shown up fully yet because there's going to be debt that comes due at a higher rate over the next year. And um, a lot of companies have still trimmed down their in-office presence. So the math just doesn't really favor commercial real estate in particular. However, it's such an obvious problem that it may well kind of be priced in at this point. I mean – Earlier this year, the biggest financial and economic scare we had in the year of 2023 was in regional banks and a very closely tied uh, knock-on effect is banking exposure to commercial real estate loans. So a lot of the businesses that are tied to those risks already paid a pretty severe price and haven't really recovered a ton since. So... I don't have a great answer to it. It's one thing that kind of puzzles me too, but it's kind of one of those uh, things in markets where you have to figure out what's more important, sort of the true underlying fundamentals or the market's expectations of those fundamentals. And the expectations are pretty low for commercial real estate. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm not a equity analyst. So I can't tell you like what the, if the valuations are appropriately sized for those risks, but Stock-wise, um, a lot of those regional banks um, and various financial or real estate institutions tied to the hold in the commercial real estate market have paid a pretty severe penalty for it. So uh, it's certainly, though, I will close by saying it certainly is a problem that is very rate-sensitive, too. I mean, that debt becomes a lot more tolerable if the Fed's going to cut you know, five times next year. Yeah. Oliver, last question for you. I want to send it around cryptocurrency. A lot of big hay being made about the SEC potentially approving a spot Bitcoin. But also Jamie Dimon came out, and uh, I think he's on the Oliver Rennick side here. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys confer. I suspect maybe you do. But um, he is not a big fan of cryptocurrency. And I just wonder, with the fallout from the Sam Bankman-Fried um, – court case uh now you see the sec potentially approving a spot coin etf um 
a spot ETF. I'm sorry, a Bitcoin mm-hmm. ETF. You know what I meant, yeah. and I hope yeah, the yeah. audience did as well. I mean, wh- how do you how do you take this? I mean, Jamie Dimon is not a fan, but his his firm. <laughs> by the way, his firm is invested in in, in cryptocurrency. Yeah, I've got some some projects. I don't know how big they are, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of always had that view. Um, Charlie Munger, uh, rest in peace. Um, the late Charlie Munger also had those views. I generally share those views that um, not from like a sort of we should cancel it. Like Jamie Dimon says, you can't really cancel it. My view is he says that Congress should cancel Bitcoin. My view is that you can't really do that through regulation. The only person who could really put the hurt on crypto is Jerome Powell if he just keeps hiking rates because to me it's still just a purely uh, speculative instrument for trading at a higher price without any real utility at this point. So, um, no, yeah, I, I feel like the lines are pretty clearly drawn on that. People don't really change their minds too much. Um, I think that um, Bitcoin has an opportunity Um because it's, uh, we've seen this kind of weird stalemate in stocks and bonds and uh, Bitcoin's trying to take this ETF story and kind of lever it up. And for me, what will, uh, what the only thing that really has potential to kind of um, change my mind on it is if Bitcoin and crypto start rallying when stocks are down. Mm-hmm. Or if crypto can rally in a rising rate environment, that to me would suggest that my understanding of it is not correct, but none of those things have happened yet. A lot of people are making a big deal about how much crypto is up on the year. Um, Percentage-wise, of course, way more than stocks, but the NASDAQ is less than 4% away from its all-time high, and the crypto total market cap is 50% off its high. So clearly the market has determined over the last uh, two years that crypto does belong in the camp of the unprofitable, possibly useless zombie <laughs> style companies. I mean, it trades much more linked to businesses that don't have profits, have promises, but no cash flow. Those are all the types of trades that started doing really well when the market started pricing in cuts. And that too is when Bitcoin started really surging. So the irony is that Bitcoin was actually underperforming. I mean, it still is underperforming off the all-time highs for stocks and Bitcoin, which were pretty close to each other. And uh, earlier this year, too. Uh, so really, the last month and a half, it's kind of been a catch-up story for Bitcoin to catch up to stocks and really still hasn't with stocks so close to records. Even gold made a record. So I don't find any of the crypto moves particularly interesting at this point. Yeah, it feels like they're actually the. I'll just rhetorically I'll say this. If the, it seems as though the recent run is predicated on the approval of a spot ETF, and it feels very would, similar. Yeah, I would say that was like that was like September to like October. So the last month and a half is basically Bitcoin is aligned with the Russell 2000 rallying, taking leadership away from high quality tech companies. Uh, unprofitable cloud stocks catching up to profitable hardware companies. The big leg up over the last month, uh, I, I, not so much ETF. Of course, I think the bottom for Bitcoin was kind of put in with help from the ETF story. So that would be the one uh, distinction I would make there. Okay. Well, Oliver, we're going to leave it there. Really interesting analysis as always. Catch them on the Schwab Network. 
Monday through Thanks, Friday. Have a good rest of your weekend, Oliver, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good you, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Drop us a line, and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.